Well, I wonder um, if anyone here has taken on that uh, challenging task of doing a restoration work. Anyone taken? <clears throat> the Hodnets are in the middle of it. Anyone taken a room, a, a house even, and thought, I'm going to restore this to its former glory, a few of us. And uh, maybe you've taken a car or jewellery. Anyone done jewellery? Nobody? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It takes effort to take this old thing, this tired thing, and um, put some love and elbow grease and sacrifice and effort into bringing it back to the luster of its former glory. Um, personally, I'm passionate, as many of you are, about being part of what God is doing in restoring a local church to our former glory. Not that we don't have that now in Christ, but God is doing a, a restorative work in our midst and we can be part of that. Well, Jesus is the game changer. We're at the, um, the last message of a series that's taken us a couple of months to work through, um, looking at the way the life and teachings of Jesus 2,000 years ago, affected the world immensely and continues to, be it how Christianity affects how we see equality or leadership or education, democracy, health. Jesus has impacted this world enormously. And it's not surprising. He's the author of life. Hallelujah. I mean, this is who he is. He's the hero of humanity, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the friend of sinners, the saviour of the world. He's the restoration master. He takes broken old things and he restores them and breathes life into them again. Today um, is on science and reason. And I did put in some effort, significant effort, before we went away on holidays. But when I got back, I thought... No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Science and reason, it's, uh, it's just too hard to pull the series together. So what I decided to do was look at how Jesus restores all things. And I hope that's going to be helpful for us as the last message in this series on Jesus the Game Changer. I want to start in Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 6. I'll read it to you. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa. It's a, it's a funny way to start the New Testament, isn't it? We're six verses in and we have a genealogy, a family tree. But for a Jewish person, person this is very significant because it's telling the story of who Jesus is, the Gospel of Matthew, but Jesus comes from a line, a Jewish history. He, he's part of the promise that God gave to the people of Israel of a Messiah who would come. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. So Matthew's Gospel begins with these three clusters of 14 generations in the lineage of Messiah. Now Messiah is this word meaning the chosen one, the saviour of the world, the restorer 
of all things. There are three bunches of 14 generations and interestingly, though it may not seem like that, but it is interesting that the second bunch of 14 generations in this lead up throughout history to Messiah ends with Jeconiah at the time of the exile. So Matthew's writing a gospel all about the life and impact of Jesus Messiah and he thinks it's important that people, certainly uh, many of them Jewish people with an understanding of the history of Israel and the promises of God, he thinks it's very important that Jesus be put into the context of one who fulfills the promises given to Israel coming out of exile. So we have this idea, this reminder that Israel spent time in exile, Jeconiah at the time of the exile. Now, I won't ask you to sort of stand up and give a, a treatise on the exile, but we've studied a bit about the exile at Northern Life, haven't we? You think back to last year, we did a big story of the Bible and we, we understood that the people of Israel went into exile. They were judged and the Babylonians came and routed them. This year we've studied Nehemiah and we saw that in 586 BC the temple was destroyed and uh, it uh, took time to be in exile in Babylon. It's a, it's a massive part of the story of Israel. Israel had been chosen to be the people of God and with that special calling came the team mascot, God himself. If you're the people of God, God's going to be with you and God was. God was on their side and so you can only imagine this is a good thing if you go into battle against another nation. God, the God who put the planets out there and the stars and holds the universe together, he is on your side so you're somewhat confident, yes? God is with us, and so who could possibly touch us? God gave us a city, Jerusalem. He told us to build a house for him to, to dwell in, the temple. And so you've got God in the temple, in his city, in his, amongst his people, and so the people of Israel were very confident. But because of Israel's sin, God left the temple. The book of Ezekiel tells us about that. And Babylon came in and, and routed them destroying the city and the temple, and took the people of Israel off in chains. And this is the exile. So you could imagine that they are experiencing what Thomas Andrews, the designer of the Titanic, felt when he said, this is an unsinkable ship. The Titanic could never go down. And then it's going down and all the cocky claims, the unsinkable ship sinks. This is what the people of Israel felt after the exile. The unbeatable team who had God were beaten and depressed and ruined. Israel had rejected their God and they were suffering the consequences in exile. No land, no kingdom, no power. Very little identity. So if there was a, a lampstand that said, God is with us, the exile says, not anymore. Not anymore. The candle is snuffed out. The people of Israel have no hope. And this is the, the vibe of the book of Lamentations. As I try to get the wax off my burnt finger. <laughs> A lot more wax on that than I thought. 
The book of Lamentations, anyone read that? Some of us? You read it and what's the vibe? There is no comfort. There's someone wandering around Jerusalem after the destruction and they're like, comfort, no comfort. Where are you, God? I thought this was your city. We were your people. There is no comfort. It is desolate. Now, even though they were brought back, because we studied this with Nehemiah, they're in exile for 70 years, <clears throat> and then they come back, <clears throat> and it takes them a while, but they rebuild the, the temple and, and, and the city, and they finally, with Nehemiah, do the, rebuild the wall. Um, but 500 years later, at the time of Matthew's writing, the time of Jesus coming at Christmas, the people of Israel are still feeling in exile, aren't they? They, they don't have a land that's theirs, They don't have a king in power. They have a puppet king, but they're nothing like the luster of the Davidic kingdom. And so at the time of the writing of Matthew, there are a lot of questions. The package of hope that God had given the people of Israel is questionable. It's like, but it feels like we're still in exile. Even though we're meant to have come back, it doesn't feel like, God, you're powerfully our God. So can you imagine how amazing it was for Matthew to quote at the beginning of his gospel in chapter 3? So we had the genealogy in chapter 1. Chapter 3, Matthew quotes the words of Isaiah 40. He says, A voice shouting in the wilderness Prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for him. What's that prophecy all about? Remember it was in Isaiah 40, the great passage where it says, Your hard service has been done. Come home. You are way over in Iraq from Israel. You're way over in Babylon. There's lots of valleys. There's lots of mountains. But Isaiah stood up and he said, Comfort, comfort my people. Remember the lamentation says there's no comfort. He says, Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Not a windy track back to Jerusalem, back home, but a straight highway Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When Matthew quotes that in chapter 3, what do you think he's setting up? He's setting up the fact that God's chosen one has arrived. The restorer of all things is here. He's going to bring the exiles back home. He's bringing the people that don't feel like they belong back to where they belong. And in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, so we're wandering through Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching all this amazing stuff, this teaching from um, the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about the way things really are in the kingdom, the restoration of the people of God, the kingdom of God. So he does this amazing teaching, 5, 6, 7. But have you ever noticed what happens in chapter 8? 
Are you aware of what happens in chapter 8 in Matthew's Gospel? You'd shift out of 5, 6, 7, which is teaching on the mountainside. What happens in chapter 8? I'll just tell you quickly what happens in chapter 8. Chapter 8 is Matthew proving that Jesus is not just a bunch of hot air and words. He's a doer. He restores people. He changes people. He's going to impact life on this planet. First chapter 8, after all the teaching, lots of words, and then there's action. We have this leper. He's unclean. Chapter 8, he's discarded by society. What does Jesus do? Restores him. There's verse 5, the paralyzed servant looking down the life of just misery. He's restored, the restoration master by Jesus. Verse 14, Peter's um, fever-ridden mum, what does Jesus do? Restores her. The chaos and confusion of the storm, verse 23, he restores it to a peace and calm just with a word. Chapter 9, there's a crippled man. He's dependent and impoverished and he's restored by Jesus. Chapter 9, 9, Matthew himself, the tax collector, isolated, debilitated by greed, restored by Jesus. He's not just words. He, here he comes with action. The dead girl, verse 18, chapter 9, beyond hope, beyond all earthly powers, he's re- she's restored to life by the power of Jesus. The hemorrhaging woman, unclean, dejected, restored by Jesus. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Lots of words, but Jesus is about action. He's the restoration master, blind man, separated, limited, typecast, restored by Jesus. And ultimately, as Matthew's account goes through what Jesus did, it reaches its conclusion with the climactic resurrection from the dead. The restorer of all things comes back to life, the firstborn from the dead. I wonder if this morning as you sit here, you can relate to the need to return from exile. For you in your life. The return from exile. Some of us here today feel in some ways like our candle has gone out. I bet you for some of us it's not that you're in some um, enormous level of sin that you're aware of. It's just faith is boring. It, It... If I said to you, is is your faith like a roaring candle on fire or is it snuffed out? Many of us would go, it's always been snuffed out. It's always been boring. I I feel a long way from God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I feel like that myself at times. And that's why I know some of you do. We, We go through the motions. Of course, we're Christians. We're not saying we're not. Some of us maybe aren't. But we can carry this this lie from the enemy and it comes from guilt it comes from shame Um, it comes because we do wrong but it says you're a long way from god because you haven't cleaned your act up enough and when you feel like you're a long way from god and he doesn't care have you found it's really hard to hear from him it's hard to hear from his word because it's, you, you sort of feel like he probably he's not going to speak to me because I'm, I'm in the naughty corner. I'm, I've, had, I've made mistakes and then the evil one says, God won't take you back, which is a lie. And then we keep walking at a distance. And all of a sudden, 
the God who made us and, and, and the Jesus, our Lord, who died for us and the Spirit who wants to live in us and guide us, they're sort of pushed aside. And we don't articulate it, but we're actually living in exile. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? We're living in exile. And we come to another Christmas and all the words of peace and God with us, somehow they just don't find it in our heart, a home. They don't get into our head and heart because it's like, I know I'm tarnished. So I wonder, what is it for you? Some of us, I wonder if we're in the exile of deep bitterness. That's actually true. If you allow bitterness to find a home in your heart, it, it, it's a deep root and it, it, it takes us away from God. It puts us in exile. For some of us, it's the exile of sadness, isn't it? Broken relationships, just for so long, and um, it's with people we love. They're a long way, they feel a long way away from us, and there's so much water under the bridge that you, you just you just feel a bit numb. Life, you get used to it. And my question to you is: Can you relate to the people of Israel in exile? Or can you relate to the people of Israel in the first century when they're, they're meant to have come back to the city of Jerusalem, but it doesn't feel right? And you're coming to church and you've got your faith, but it doesn't feel right. It's like, oh, I just feel so exiled. For some, maybe it's this intense rage and anger that lives in you. Other people don't see it. Well, the close ones do, you do. Jesus is the restoration master, amen? Jesus is the restoration master. Is it self-hatred? You want to get rid of it, but you just can't. The master loves you. He wants to restore you to a place where you don't have self-hatred. Fear, anxiety, shame, these stresses that we can't just we can't shake. For some of us, it's the impurity of sexual immorality, the addiction to escapism. Jesus would love to restore us, to restore us to a place where we're not addicted to those things. The hidden secrets that nobody knows about, because has anyone got any secrets? Some of us have secrets that we've hidden for decades. I want to remind you this morning, Jesus knows about that secret. The question that we have to ask is, what does he think about it? Has he done anything to fix it? Does he want to restore me from that place, that shackle that says, you are this, you are stained, your identity has changed, you are shamed because of that? I don't believe that's what the Bible says. The Bible says he wants to take us out of that, break the chains and give us new life. Hallelujah. How about you? Is the Spirit of God just prompting you in your heart and mind in any of these thoughts? Yeah, that's me. Jesus is the restoration master. Is it marital pain? A lot of us live with marital pain. Jesus has our heart in his hands and he holds the broken pieces together. The deceit of a life filled with cover-ups. God wants to bring the exiles home. 
Christ wants to restore us like that that room that was one way dilapidated with the paint falling off and then it's sanded back and it's it's new again that's what he does he takes lives families christmas gatherings that are broken in pieces because certain people aren't there that should be there he restores those things he's amazing at that he takes the harsh side of someone's personality and he says let's restore that you weren't always like that. You've become that through the twists and turns of life. What about envy? Just Some of us just live with envy and it's, it takes us into exile because God doesn't want that. We just live, what about the love of money? Do you, do you come from a heritage that says money is above God? That'll put you in exile. For some of us, the exile is just, it's been a long time since we feel we've, we've sensed a revelation from God. And as I was preparing this, it just really struck me, um, we just have a deep need, don't we, to reconnect. And Christmas is this wonderful reminder that we're not meant to stay in exile. The people of Israel were not meant to be in exile. The Messiah has come. He came to fulfill at Christmas. Jesus came to fulfill all the promises of the Father to bring the exiles home. He came to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. That's why Matthew quoted it in chapter 3. Comfort, comfort, my people. Comfort, comfort, northern life. Your comfort. Come home. The, the father's arms are open, running to the prodigal daughter, to the prodigal son, the one that's moved away and pushed God aside. The father is hunting us down. Hallelujah. He wants us to come home and wants to bring peace to our heart and to restore joy to our soul and to cleanse our mind and renew our mind. How does that happen? Because Christmas moved to Easter. Jesus had to pay for sin. You know why some of us feel like we're in exile ultimately? It starts with S, doesn't it? It is always sin. That might sound like a Christianese thing to say, but it is my sin that brings shame in my heart and mind. It is my sin that grieves God. It's my sin that separates me from God ultimately. And the same is true for you and I, both of us, the world. But Jesus, who was without sin, the Bible says, became sin for us. He was nailed to a Roman cross in our place. This morning, can I remind you, as I remind myself, we should have been nailed to that cross. We should be the ones in exile from our sin. We should be estranged from God. We should be punished. But Christ, who was without sin, became sin for us that we might become what? That's a pretty great exchange, isn't it? The righteousness of God, he took our sin, we take his sinlessness before God. We become the righteousness of God because of Christ, because he was successful in his mission of restoration. John's Gospel in chapter 20 records what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. Mary had visited the tomb. There's no Jesus. She's terrified that the gardener had stolen the body 
of her Lord. She's anxious. She's got this burden of still being in exile. Her hopes of Messiah has been, have been dashed. The one that she put her trust in is dead. She's lost, isolated, filled with despair. Yet the restorer of all things is where? Is there with her walking. She's wondering, how could I ever be restored? Messiah didn't turn up. The prophecies are all unfulfilled, but he has come. The gardener of the universe was walking with her, the designer of new creation. He was alive. He's conquered death. He's paid for her sin. He has taken the sin of the whole world. And because he rose again, the world can be resurrected. Because Jesus rose again, the whole of creation will be restored. That's where Christmas takes us, isn't it? The restorer of all things ushers in new creation. Hope beyond imagination. Messiah has come and he's made a way for all things to be restored. Broken down bodies, broken down relationships. And that candle can't be blown out. The light of the world has come. It's sitting on a stump. You may not think that looks like a stump, but it represents a stump. The Messianic prophecy of, of Isaiah 11, <clears throat> a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Who is Jesse? David's father, the Davidic line. This hope of Messiah. Isaiah is quoted often in the New Testament. No one's going to pick it, but there's a little thing, a little shoot is going to come up from the stump of Jesse, the line of David, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, this one who will come, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and power. Think about Jesus. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness. He will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. This is the Messiah that the people of Israel were looking for. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. 
Christmas celebrates, respects, and proclaims the time of exile is over. And how good is that? That's what Christmas is. It's this celebration that God did what he said he would do. We can all come back close to the Father. Because you suddenly cleaned up your act or I cleaned up my act, no, not at all, because something has happened in history external to us objectively. The Son of God paid for our sin and he rose again. We can be restored. We can begin the journey this morning back to restoration for those of us who feel in exile. So you might notice the occupation health and safety hazard we had sitting on something odd, little tea candles in front of you or maybe under you. (laughs) You might need to look. Whether you've been a Christian for two years or 62 years or you're wondering about spiritual things this morning, um, there's no way back from exile without coming to the cross of Jesus, to the grace of Jesus, to what that represents. That, that stump and that candle represent the hope of Messiah. But he's come. The stump, the hope of The Davidic line was fulfilled. Jesus, the King of kings, the saviour of the world. And here we are in a school, which is uh, quite fitting. It feels like a little stable or something. And God still comes and wants to inhabit his people. Hallelujah. Are you in exile? Do you feel far from the Lord? Has it been a while since you've opened your Bible? Do you hardly ever pray? Come back. Come back. We're not so good sometimes at creating moments, so I guess this is to create a moment. I encourage you uh, as we play some music to mark this Christmas, 2018, hopefully our last in this school, which has been lovingly provided for us by God, by the school. So Mark, this is our last one when we've been pilgrim people waiting to come back to a a land. Let that be a picture of what's happening in our heart that we don't have to stay away from God. Bring your tea light candle and light that and as you do, you're celebrating another part of Isaiah's prophecy. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali. The way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee. Feel a lot of emotion. You might like to, as you think about those words and what that means for you and this light and the hope of Messiah and what Christmas is. It's up to you if you'd like to take the opportunity to take that tea can and come and say, Lord, thank you so much. If you're close to him, then it's a way of celebrating that. And if you're far from him, maybe it's the beginning of a journey back. We're going to have some music and just when you're ready, anyone who'd like to, come on out.